This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda. I'm Johnny Hart, and you're listening to the Market Insights Market Pulse podcast. Let's join Oanda Senior Market Analyst in London, Craig Earlham, and Trader Nick in the USA. Good afternoon, guys. Hi, Johnny. Good afternoon. It's been an incredibly busy week for central banks. We've had the Fed on Wednesday, the Bank of England on Thursday, and today we've seen the Bank of Japan follow the other two and leave rates unchanged on concerns of what they've called extremely high uncertainties. Uh, Nick, it has been a very interesting week. Were you surprised by some of the decisions? So it's an interesting week because we knew coming into this week it would be a lot to take in, uh, but we had actually a good number of surprises. I almost wonder if after the Fed went first, if there was some behind closed doors discussions to say, you know what, let's back up here and, and pause for a second. We had out of the Bank of England, we had a pause where there was expected to be, or at least a lot of forecasts for a hike. You have the, the Bank of Japan backstepping a little bit here. And uh, between all the central banks taking somewhat of a, a more defensive stance, it looks really, really interesting for a number of reasons. Uh, of course, following, we'll get into PMIs today, some slowdown in Europe. Uh, so you have all these different things that are kind of spinning around us. And meanwhile, uh, you know, the SNB, the Bank of England, the Bank of Japan, all kind of lining up behind the Fed and taking a defensive stance on their monetary policy. How do you interpret this? Well, it's an interesting rotation in terms of, of how markets are reacting. You have indices across the board selling off. Uh, with a little bit of a bounce here coming in as we speak. Uh, but despite that, one interesting move I would say is is the yen. The yen really um, took a dive following this news. You take a look at dollar yen, you know, up almost half a percent on the day, which is a good move for, for the currency world. And then again, just between all of these central banks kind of lining up with that defensive stance, it sets the stage for you know months to come. Um, it does seem like there's a lot of caution across the board with some hot inflation numbers, with some slowdown in, in some of the economy. Uh, it, it's looking a little bit more like uh, before this huge run-up in the stock market that we had in 2023, it started to look a little bit more teetering on the cautionary side um, from central banks. And again, the refusal to rate hike, I think I, I would say this is, um, you know, not rate hiking is not necessarily uh, a great thing. It might be like a, hey, you know, let's not break anything here and uh, some, some fears surrounding that. So I don't know, my, my stance on it is, you know, central banks all kind of be doing, all kind of seem to be uh, more globalized than ever. They all seem to be copying one another. And um, it's causing some really interesting moves in the markets. Oil still up. Um, you have, uh, you know, the, the dollar staying strong. You have gold moving up, silver moving up, and stocks are down. Uh, not to mention the VIX. The VIX is flying high. So fear is in the markets right now. And it's really, really interesting to keep an eye on all these things at the same time. And Craig, as Nick was just saying, central banks followed the same pattern. But the Bank of England decision was an extremely close one. The Monetary Policy Committee, and I cannot remember a time where the vote was so close, five to four in favour of keeping them at the current rate. I mean, it was probably down to the governor himself to make the decision and go the uh, the way they did. It was a very close run thing, and I, I suppose a bit of a gamble. Yeah, it kind of had... Like X Factor vibes, right? With Simon Cowell sat at the end of the table, casting the deciding vote. 
Andrew Bailey's vote was clearly influential, but I think it's also interesting who lined up behind him, uh, Hugh Pill, uh, etc. I think that was also an interesting fact in all of this as well. But like you say, it was an extremely close decision, which makes the kind of tone of the language that came with it all the more interesting because Nick was right. All central banks seem to be really lining up around each other. They've all started the tightening process around the same time. They're all facing broadly the same challenges with their only unique differences and now they're all ending the tightening cycle around the same time as well but what i find most interesting is the differences which is how they're exiting we've had the fed which has gone for a stuttered exit which is pause hike pause let's see what happens next maintain hawkish language warn them for more rate hikes say that rates gonna remain high for very long then you've got the ecb which kind of just went hike 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 We've stopped and we're probably not going to go anymore. We're, so they obviously, they haven't actually done the pause yet, but at the last meeting last week, they did that final rate hike and they said, we think we've tightened enough effectively and we don't think there's going to be more hikes. Then the Bank of England's gone a different way again, where they've gone, well, we're going to raise rates, raise rates, raise rates. And then all of a sudden with, I say no warning, they said in two weeks ago at the Treasury Select Committee, it's more balanced and people ignored them. Earlier this week, we had that really good inflation number and people didn't adjust maybe their expectations enough, myself included. I thought the Bank of England would raise one last time this week uh, and would call it a day. But the Bank of England, not only have they gone against expectations and not hiked, but like I said, the language is very different than the Fed's in that they said that rates are going to remain sufficiently high for sufficiently long. And you could say, Craig, you're just nitpicking. You're just nitpicking. There's no difference between sufficiently high for sufficiently long and higher for long. But there is, because one has flexibility and the other doesn't. High for long means well into next year, you should expect US interest rates, based on what the Fed is saying, to stay at these higher levels and it may rise again. With the Bank of England, sufficiently high for sufficiently long could literally mean the first quarter of next year if you want it to be. It's basically saying we are not convinced that rates are going to need to stay high for long enough to say this in our statement. For what we know, we may need to cut earlier and we want to make sure that we give that message now. There's obviously less pressure on the Bank of England as well. The Fed is like the world's central bank, so they do feel like they're communicating to everyone, whereas I think the Bank of England does feel like it's communicating just to the UK, and I think there is a difference there. But it's just interesting, the little nuances of differences between the exit strategies of the different central banks. And the reason why I highlight this is because ultimately that's what's going to influence how the currencies move now. It's those nuances that is going to influence how these currencies trade when they're all ending their tightening cycles around the same time. It's going to influence how people judge when those first rate cuts are going to come as well. So I think that was the most interesting takeaway for me this week. But as Nick said, there's been a lot of volatility in the markets as a result of it. And I think that's only going to get more now because everything's on such a knife edge. Coming back to your question, Johnny, five to four vote. Well, all that needs to really happen before between now and the next meeting is the UK data doesn't quite live up to expectations and maybe that goes five to four the other way. So it really isn't a knife edge. So every piece of data now is important. And those expectations could be very much affected by the price of oil at the moment, which as we know has been going up and up and up, pegged back a bit earlier in the week, but let's say around the $90 mark. And if that continues or goes higher, then we probably will be going to a 25 basis points increase sooner rather than later. 
Yeah, no, oil has been interesting. It, it dipped earlier this week, found support. Uh, I'm looking at uh, U.S. oil, specifically WTI. Uh, it's back in the 90s and, um, you know, found a little bit of uh, support there. I think it's interesting, too, uh, you know, you mentioned that uh, or just following what Craig was saying there about all the different central banks and, and some of the specifics. Um Especially interesting, too, about what you mentioned about the Fed speaking on a global stage. And, and of course, the Bank of England is still a global but lesser uh, watch. It's like the it's like the backup show. It's like the show that comes after like American Idol or something. I don't know. But anyways, the, the point is uh, it's still very important to the global stage, but they're speaking to, to a, a more centralized crowd in, in the UK. Despite that, what I think is interesting in the currency side in response to all of this central bank stuff is that if we are reaching the precipice, but then we introduce like a back to this stage where central banks might begin to diverge. As you mentioned, Craig, if, if the ECB comes out and they're like, yeah, you know, uh, the sooner than later, we're going to do this. Or the, the Bank of England comes out and says, you know, higher for longer, but their definition of that is a, a cut comes much sooner than the, um, the U.S., the reason I get kind of excited about talking about that is because if you're someone who's looking at the currency market, you love that stuff. Uh, it's great when you get divergences from central banks because it creates wonderful trends that traders love. Because, you know, the way, you know, if you're looking, if, 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 take the pound dollar, for example, the pound uh, against the US dollar last year was one of the cleanest downward trends that we've seen in a long time. It was so obvious because the central bank in, uh, well, of course, obviousness, a hindsight bias, but the point is, is, there was this clear divergence between the Fed, which was just nonstop defensive hiking. Uh, and then you had the Bank of England, which was far behind and um, more timid to, to, to act. So we love those divergences. And of course, we'll be continuing to monitor those uh, for the remainder of this year. Because again, I think those could create some of the most interesting trends for the remainder of this year, as well as going into 2024. So uh, very interesting. We had you know, quite a few uh, strong, momentous trades uh, during the rate hiking cycle. That attention will now be on, you know, is the Fed just going to stay super defensive for a very long time? And other these, and some of these other currencies um, might really take a beating again, right? Uh, the pound, the euro, they, they had relatively good years compared to the dollar. Uh, whereas, you know, that might change if, if they start to kind of retreat on their, their monetary policy while the U.S. stays firm. Um, it, Johnny, you mentioned oil. Again, like I said, oil has has recovered some of those gains and will be very, very interesting, especially with all this monetary policy talk, uh, to watch what the price of oil does. If we go back, right back to the highs, we get up to, you know, 93.50 again, if we break those levels, um, that is going to to force a lot of action, I think, uh, on that global stage that we keep talking about. So should be very interesting, again, uh, to keep an eye on, on the oil market. Again, I mentioned the VIX is a pretty important indicator just in terms of if you're an equity person. And the last thing I would say, um, Craig, that I want to ask you about, we've talked about this a lot. The yields world is really, really important. You have, um, you know, yields, uh, bonds versus equities this year have been an interesting topic of discussion. Here we go back to the two years trading back up to the highs, right? In terms of the yield that is printed is punching up right up against those highs again. Meanwhile, the stock market has not come anywhere near 
some of the lows that were formed. So the bonds market versus the stock market tell two different stories. And I'd love to get like your thoughts on that, um, especially with all this central bank stuff uh, behind us this week. I think there's a couple of things that we can touch on here. One is that the bond market's still very volatile because now there's almost two questions being asked. One is where are interest rates going to peak? We basically know that. And the other one is when are rates going to start to be cut and how long is that going to take and how slow is the process going to be? So we're constantly trying to work out two things and the two are linked ultimately. For example, the Bank of England, if they decide to stay at 5.25%, then not only is the peak sooner and lower, but also the first cut could in theory this isn't what the signal that the bank of england's sending but the cut, first cut could in theory come later because what they're saying is we don't want to go as high so we don't want to go up and straight down what we want to do is go up stay for a while and then gradually come down so the markets kind of position themselves on the basis of that i don't think markets are currently positioned for example like i say for a rate cut in the second quarter of next year from the bank of england or the late first quarter of next year but that's just the impression I get from the Bank of England based on the tone of their language, which again was really interesting because the vote was so close that their language tone was so uh, seemingly dovish. So this all has an influence on the bond markets. As we've said before, I think equity investors are like eternal optimists, and I think they're more focused on recession at this point. We've seen the rate hikes being priced in, we've seen the negative consequences that we've seen for the Nasdaq at times. We've seen it when more hikes are priced in the negative implications that has for stock markets. I think stock markets are more now focused on recession. And that's why they've held up okay recently because it's kind of like, is the US going to fall into recession? Is it going to avoid a recession? Are we going to see a soft landing? We've seen too much resilience. Does that mean higher rates? How long do they stay high for? Will that eventually tip us into recession? And this kind of back and forth and back and forth and inability to make up the mind. The reason why I think that's created this kind of stasis in uh, in U.S. equities uh, to an extent is because we haven't seen confirmation of the recession, but we also haven't seen confirmation of the end of rate hikes. And we're kind of just in this limbo, this waiting moment. If we start to see the economic data turn and we start to see signs of recession appearing, then I think actually equity markets could take a turn lower. What we're not seeing yet is a recession priced in, but we're also not fully seeing Fed rate hikes fully finished being priced in either because i think if we get through the fed rate hikes and start moving into next year with rate cuts without a recession i think equities will perform better if we get the recession i think they perform worse and it's this middling period which is causing the situation we've got now i get the feeling that the bank of england was waiting for more data and i wanted to draw your attention guys to the, some of the pmi data which is out today here in the uk we've seen that the private sector economy contracted this month at the fastest pace since January 2021 when we were in lockdown. So that surely highlights that although the Bank of England has paused rate rises, monetary policy is still holding back growth. So maybe that would encourage those that think that we've reached the top, the optimal level as far as the rates are concerned. Yeah, I think what's interesting too is, you know, kind of similar story in Europe, there's some contraction and uh, we don't have the uh, advantage of, of seeing the uh, US numbers, which will come out uh, shortly after this podcast is finished. We're just uh, timing logistics are a little bit difficult, but of course, we'll continue to monitor that in future episodes. But yeah, no, uh, PMI numbers, uh, somewhat interesting. We've put them, positioned them towards the end of this podcast for, for a good reason. I think monetary policy kind of reflects what they're seeing. You know, they have their finger on the pulse. Uh, so these PMI numbers kind of confirming uh, perhaps some of the hesitation that we're seeing out of, you know, the Bank of England, out of um, the ECB uh, contraction. And, and like you mentioned, they, the, they don't want necessarily a recession. It might just be 
a byproduct of, of what they have to do. So PMI numbers, again, showing some contraction, showing, uh, I guess, probably what uh, mostly was expected, but I know specifically like uh, there was some manufacturing slowdown in Europe. As a matter of interest, does the Bank of England know these figures before we do? When it made that announcement earlier in the week, did it know about these figures, do you think? I don't think they will have access to the actual data itself, but I'm guessing they have their own data analysts and modelers who have come to a similar conclusion. I also just don't think PMIs are as influential to the extent that had they had access to this data, they would have made the same decision. It helps to create a overriding picture in their heads. Um, I think sometimes we can put too much emphasis on data. Are they focused on inflation? Yes, absolutely. Are they focused on the labor market? Yes, absolutely. But do they pay so much attention to one release? Almost always not. The outlier, I think, may be this week's inflation report. Uh, from the UK, which probably tipped the balance 5-4 to four in favour of hold. I think had it not been such a good report, it would have gone the other way. So usually one report doesn't have that much of an influence and therefore there'd be no need to kind of bring forward or try and get access to data that isn't already readily available. And you can just imagine how much data they already have access to as well. That's what I think. I don't know. I've never worked at a Bank of England, so I don't know exactly what they have their hands on, but that would be my train of thought. Very interesting, guys. Um, Fascinating uh, week, and we look forward to speaking to both of you next time around. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks, Johnny. Cheers. Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.